we do have that mentality of I can do it on my own. And eventually folks will come to the conclusion that maybe an expert is somebody that I should be talking to. And an expert is not your spouse or your significant other or your parents or a friend. But I think that a lot of times people stall on the process because they really feel like they can do it on their own. This is the Happen to Your Career podcast with Scott Anthony Barlow. We help you stop doing work that doesn't fit you, figure out what does, and make it happen. We help you define the work that's unapologetically you, and then go get it. If you're ready to make a change, keep listening. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Here's Scott. Back in the early 2000s, I started studying what makes people successful. Early on, it was very clear that some people were successful, they achieved a lot, but gave up everything else to do it. Now, when I was researching this, I didn't want to know about those people who destroyed all of the relationships with their kids or other people that they really cared about to go after some other version of success. Instead, I wanted to know more about those people who prioritized both and those people who became what I now call happy high achievers, people who were successful in their career and defined success on their own terms, but also in the other areas of life that matter the most to them. People who had great relationships with their significant other and a career they love, or people who were highly wealthy and are happy people to be around. When we started HTYC, it was the goal to help many more people in the world become happy high achievers, not just to get to meaningful work. Since then, we've learned more than a lot. Here's the question I have for you. What do you think stops people from making career changes to much more fulfilling work? What stops people from becoming happy high achievers? But I think just taking that first big step and saying, I don't know, it's okay to not know before you get on a call with me. It's okay to not be sure before you make that appointment. It's it's okay to feel all those feelings before you do this. But the biggest thing is just to do the thing. That would be my best advice, Scott, is do the thing. Just do, do, the thing. do the do thing. Do the thing. Do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> the answer is counterintuitive. That's Cindy Gonos, our director of client success. And the very first person that you meet when you talk to us at HTYC. I asked her to come on today to be able to share what she's learned by having many hundreds of conversations over and over and over again with people that want to make this type of change. Now, it turns out it's not the work or the knowledge or even developing the skills that often stops people from becoming happy high achievers. It's the fact that most people never ask for help. And if they do, often asking people that aren't in a position to help them. In this episode today, Cindy and I will chat about what we believe are the five biggest beliefs that stop you from ever taking the first step and asking for help. Cindy, welcome to the podcast officially. Thank you, Scott, for having me. Where in your career have you seen this pop up, this idea of struggling to ask for help or even not asking for help or being challenged and asking for help and that's stopping you from something, somewhere that you wanted? Where have you seen that pop up for yourself? Sure. I had a really amazing opportunity, Scott, to open and run a swim school for children. I was very, very excited about the opportunity and I felt like I was ready to, no pun intended, dive into anything to help make the swim school successful. I learned very quickly that one of my responsibilities as the general manager of the swim school was to also be a lifeguard, the head lifeguard, if you will. And unbeknownst to my owner or any of the folks that was helping me with training, I have an absolute phobia 
of the water, terrified of the water, absolutely terrified of the water. And when I went into my lifeguard training, I just kept telling myself, you're going to be fine. You're going to do this. You're going to be fine. But the fear that I had was absolutely paralyzing. And it was really difficult for me to admit that. It was really difficult for me to admit that I needed to ask for help. So I went through the first day of lifeguard training, just floundering around, struggling a lot, but really trying to put on that brave face. And at the end of that day, I went to our lifeguard instructor and I just said to her, this is really, really hard for me. And I'm really, really afraid. And she was able to calm me down. She was able to talk me through it. She was able to tell me all of the reasons why I could do this thing that I was so afraid of. And I did it. I became a lifeguard. I became an awesome lifeguard. And at the end of lifeguard training, when I got my certification, I went to my car after training and I cried so hard because I was so absolutely proud of what I had done. But I was able to go in with confidence because I asked for help with that. That's amazing. And I think that that pops up for so many people. I know I've experienced that. I can't even count the times in my career. I would love to say that every single time on the other end of it, I went and asked for help. That is not the case. A lot of times I just struggled through it. And sometimes I didn't even get where I wanted to go because I didn't ask for help. And conversely, the other times where I did, it wasn't as big of a deal every single time in so many different ways. It often required the same degree of courage that you described or transparency to be able to say, look, I'm really struggling with this. I don't necessarily know where to go from here, but I do know that I need help. So that's what's really interesting to me. And I'm curious... You and I had a conversation prior to the evolution of this episode, and we had identified that there's really five main things that we've seen over and over again, stopping people from asking for help. What is the first one that you've seen? Yeah, absolutely. I would say the first thing that folks will say is that they have that feeling that they don't want to just run away or they don't want to let others down. I think so often we take career paths because it's expected of us, right? It's the expectations our parents have or our partners have or the responsibility that we have to our families or to our children. And one thing that I heard from a couple of folks that I talked to is that even getting on the call with me took a lot of courage and that courage was to accept the fact that they weren't running away from something, but that they were actually running towards something that was better and more fulfilling for them. And that takes a lot of courage. I think that's on one hand, fascinating that that is what it feels like. It feels like if we are making a change, we are failing at something. We're running away from it as opposed to What it very often is, is trying to to make an intentional change, an intentional improvement in your life or your work or your career or whatever else. And I think that that is, I don't want to necessarily take us down a bunny trail, but it's really interesting that that is what we've created in our society, that when you're trying to make that type of change, the first thing that we think of is, oh crap, I'm failing at this. And that causes us to not go and ask for help to make a change. So that's a whole nother episode unto itself. Yes. That path that is expected of us. Tell me more about that. Sure. I think when we start our careers, a lot of times what we do is we look for the logic in what we should do. We look for that path that's going to give us success. We look for the path that's going to make us safe 
And I think safety for some folks means stability as far as finances go. I don't think that we're focusing enough on the safety or fulfillment of ourselves. So it's almost as if we feel as though we're letting other folks down by not having that predetermined societal version of success, right? Yeah. The whole idea of what doing what's expected. I think the really interesting thing about that is studying happy high achievers or would-be happy high achievers, there's always an evolution in there. There's always an evolution where you are initially focused on what other people, uh, you know, whether that be people that are close to you or societal versions of what we think success is. And there's always this evolution and the switch that happens. It's not usually overnight. It's usually over a period of time where we start focusing more and more on what we personally define as success and what we expect of ourselves. And that's, that's something that takes practice in so many different ways. And I think we underestimate that and just how much practice we can get once we are doing that with someone else that can help us. So that whole that whole asking for help uh, literally is stopping that in so many different ways when we're not doing it. One thing that I hear a lot of folks say is when I'm on our first time calls, because I'll do all of the first time conversations, is I a lot of times hear folks say, I know I've been really lucky. I know that I've been really fortunate. And I can feel them hesitating on the but. They almost feel that guilt of saying, I know I've been really successful, but I'm not fulfilled. They they tend to trail off on the end of that sentence because again, it's that expectation, the I know that what I have makes me fortunate compared to others, or I know that I've been successful, but, 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 but is the thing that they're, yes, they're trailing off on. So it's great to be successful, but if you're not fulfilled, if it's not meaningful, then are you really successful in the way that is meaningful for you? So Mm, love that. What would you say is the second biggest way or second biggest thing that stops us? Second biggest belief that stops us from asking for help? Yeah, absolutely. So There's a running joke in my house. We love Arrested Development. It is one of our favorite shows. And we have a daughter who was a very picky eater. And we would always tell her, Amber, you know what? It's dinner time. You just need to keep your head down and power through. Just power through. And I feel that a lot of folks take that throughout their careers, that they don't want to feel weak. So they justify staying in a situation that they don't necessarily want to be in by saying, I just need to power through this. I just need to keep going so that they don't feel that weakness or, again, that sort of failure where maybe they just aren't trying hard enough. Maybe they're just not pushing through enough. So I think a lot of folks fall into that mindset of if I can just power through this tough time, or I can just power through these last 10 years of unhappiness, then I can make it through to the other side. So that's one thing that I hear a lot is folks having that mentality of just put your head down, just keep your head down and power through it. I've definitely heard people say, Hey, I only have X number of years left till retirement, quote unquote. And that might be like three years. That might be five years. It might be 10 years. The other day, I heard someone tell me I only have 32 years left to retirement. Oh, man. And I was like, oh, no. Oh, no. I'm, I'm so sorry. And that's it's that idea. Somewhere along the line, we've gotten the idea that we just need to power through. And maybe some places that can serve us well. But I found that generally, when it's something that goes on for years, we're not talking about like, hey, I just need to power through this project that's going to last the next two days. But when we're talking about, I just need to power through years at a time, 
Like we only have so many years on the planet. So, you know, regardless of what your beliefs are, like it's a relatively short time and just powering through isn't necessarily going to serve you and the other people really, really well. Absolutely. What do you think is the third biggest belief? Oh, man. Yes, this is the one that that kills me. It kills me a little bit inside every time I hear folks say it. There is this misconception, I will call it a misconception, that in order to find fulfilling work, that for some reason, folks are going to have to be poor. They do not want to be poor. So if I'm talking to someone about ideal career or roles that they're looking for, I always ask, what their salary requirements are, what would they like to see themselves ideally at in a salary? And when they start the phrase with, well, I guess I would take, and then they insert a number, that is a really quick indicator to me that they are expecting that they're going to have to have a lower standard of living or a lower income in order to have meaningful work. So I'll ask them, I will question them, why did you choose this number? And I always get the same response. Well, if I want work that I really love, I know I'm going to have to take a pay cut. I know I'm going to have to sacrifice some of my income. And that is absolutely positively just not the case. So I think that stops a lot of folks from even taking that first step. They have that sense of financial security and they are so afraid that they're going to jeopardize that, that they just don't make any moves forward. Yeah, if I feel like I want to keep up the the lifestyle I've grown accustomed to, and I feel like making a change is going to force me to give up that lifestyle, then I'm not very likely to move forward in one way or another. And what's so fascinating is that is so ingrained. You and I, when we had a conversation the other day, I remember talking about this and we were saying it, it is literally every conversation that shows up, every conversation that we're having with someone who we are potentially working with to help make this type of change we're talking about. We always are addressing this in one form or another. I feel almost like sometimes we are releasing people of that belief that if you are doing something meaningful, that it must be done for less money or less compensation. Or in fact, on the other end, we don't see that. We don't see that when people are going through the efforts to do work where they are contributing at a higher level and in different ways than what they're accustomed to, that that is requiring them to accept a lower value. In fact, we see it very much the opposite way. But ultimately, I mean, everybody gets to choose. So if you're going to choose, I'm always going to choose to keep my my salary at the same level and head after that. Because I know that if I am upfront accepting that I need to do that it's impossible or I can't do that, then I'm making it impossible for myself. Yeah, I agree. I think that so many times folks undervalue their strengths. And when we work with folks, that's really where we want them to be is working within their strengths. And I think that once they're able to see the value in their strengths, then they're able to see that they can keep the lifestyle. They could have a better lifestyle than what they've been accustomed to. And they're in that place where the work is meaningful. Their bandwidth is longer. They're able to work better and work harder. And it feels really, really good for them. And it's this really magical place that they don't think exists. So it's up to us to break that stigma and let them know, hey, sorry, but you're wrong. You actually can do work that you really love and make a really good living that does exist. It is a real thing. So it is a real thing. Those, (laughs) I understand where the belief comes from. It's very pervasive in our society that accepting work that is more meaningful is less valuable in one way or another. That doesn't necessarily make it true. That doesn't necessarily make it what's actually (laughs) happening out there. 
What do you believe is the fourth most common? Fourth sure. most common belief that's stopping people. The fourth most common belief is that folks really believe that they can just do this on their own. So I had the luxury of working in health and wellness in the health and wellness industry for about 10 years. And you would get into January, right? And you would think, oh man, I'm going to be so busy. Like everybody's going to need help with getting healthier and, and losing weight and doing all these things. And it would be crickets for the first couple of weeks of January because everybody had this mindset of, I'm going to be able to do this on my own. And then you start to creep into the end of January. And then all of a sudden, you're just getting bombarded with people who have now realized, oh, hey, wait, maybe I should probably have somebody who's really, really good at this help me get going on this. But I think we do have that mentality of, I can do it on my own. And eventually folks will come to the conclusion that maybe an expert is somebody that I should be talking to. And an expert is not your spouse or your significant other or your parents or a friend, an actual real live expert who can be your coach and can be your partner through this. But I think that a lot of times people stall on the process because they really feel like they can do it on their own. This one's fascinating. We've spent, Alyssa and I have spent a lot of time trying to instill this in our kids because we've realized in the last two years that somehow our, our kids have adopted this same type of belief. Like, I can do this on my own. It's like, whoa, 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 hold on. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But let's evaluate what it's going to take to do this on your own versus, you know, versus working with someone that knows a lot more than you. And, you know, Camden, he'll tell me, he told me this the other night in ice hockey. And when I was coaching his team, he's like, I already know how to do it, dad. It's like, yes, you know how to do it, but have you done it? And, you know, having, you know, years and years of experience uh, actively doing it looks differently than just knowing theoretically how to do it. And we find the same thing is true for career change. Like part of the reason this company happened to your career is in existence is because I was trying to figure all this stuff out for myself. And it literally took me seven years to go through and learn how to do it. Now, we have really smart listeners. So if you're listening to this, you know, maybe it takes you five years to figure out how to make a career change on your own in a way that's really wonderful for you and really meaningful for you versus changing from job and having to go to the wrong one and then go to the wrong one again, and then maybe the wrong one a third time. But you don't necessarily have to do that. That often is the difference of asking for help in one way or another. Yeah. I love that you said that, Scott, because it's true. We have really smart listeners. So could they feasibly do this work on their own? Absolutely. I think anybody can do anything, but it's sure of a hell lot easier when you have a partner (laughs) and you have somebody who's really good at it, right? Somebody who has also gone through the paces with other folks who are going through the exact same things that our clients are going through. They've kind of seen it all. So you're benefiting from the expertise of not just the coach, but the coach's experience with other folks who have gone through the exact same thing. So right. So right. I'm still learning layers of this. I feel like every day for myself, for each new thing that I'm learning or taking on. What do you feel like is the fifth and the final belief that stops people? Sure. I think the final belief that really stops people from asking for help is They, and I don't know why, can't tell you why this is. I'm a human too. So I, a lot of times feel the same way, but folks feel like they need to already have it figured out before they ask for help. So it's kind of that, you know, before you go to the dentist and you're flossing as much as you possibly can, and you're like, I'm going to brush my teeth the very best that I can when you know the dentist is going to clean your teeth (laughs) anyway, or you're really trying to get your hair looking good before you go to the salon. I feel like when I talk to folks, what I hear so much is, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And 
that's okay. That's why we exist. That's, that's the very best thing that we're good at helping people figure out is what they want to be when they grow up. So I think people feel like they need to already have it figured out and they absolutely do not. They don't even have to have a little bit of it figured out in order to ask for help. When you pull back and you look at the bigger picture, there's some level of absurdity to it that we think we have to, and you and I were talking about this the other day with ducks in a row. Like we think we have to have all of our ducks in a row before we go to get our ducks in a row or go to get help for getting all our ducks in a row. And it's like, well, hold on, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Because if we already had it all figured out, why would we be ever asking for help? And I think to bring us all the way back around, what I've seen in studying happy high achievers and would-be happy high achievers is that those are people who along the way get more and more practiced at asking for help, where they need it, how they need it, anticipating and even working through all of the mental challenges and sorting through all of our own personal beliefs along the way. So I'm so glad that you said that. That is definitely something we see over and over again here. What can people do What advice would you have for them if they're thinking about a career change? They're in that place where it's like, I just, I'm not sure if I should. I'm not sure what it would take. What advice would you have for them, Cindy? The best advice that I can give is to ask for help, whether that's checking out our podcast, whether it's scheduling a call with me. I love to talk with folks about their career change. It is what I do all day, every day. And I want folks to feel comfortable with doing that. And if it's not the right time or if it's not the right fit, I'm always really honest with folks. But I think just taking that first big step and saying, I don't know, it's okay to not know before you get on a call with me. It's okay to not be sure before you make that appointment. It's it's okay to feel all those feelings before you do this. But the biggest thing is just to do the thing. That would be my best advice, Scott, is do the thing. Just do, do the it. thing. Do the do thing. thing. Do the thing. Yeah. <laughs> You've heard this on past podcasts in the in where we've said, hey, you know, just email me. And part of the reason that we've done that in the past is just to try and make it easy to be able to ask for help. Mm -hmm. So I feel like it's appropriate here. So I promise you, I will introduce you to Cindy. You can contact Cindy directly. You can always contact anybody on our team directly. But to make it super easy, just email scott at happentoyourcareer.com. Put conversation in the subject line. And what we'll do is, first of all, I'll introduce you to Cindy directly. And then we'll ask you a little bit about your situation, your personal situation. And then we'll help you figure out the very best way that we can help support you or what type of help you may need, even if it's something that we can't provide. Either way, we'll be really transparent and upfront with you because this is what we do. It's what we love to do. So, Cindy, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you for sharing all the observations that you've seen over the last many hundreds of conversations here. I appreciate it. Thank you, Scott. Absolutely. This was fun. Fear is defined in two ways and how this actually helped me even with this podcast today, you know, this interview is there's two types of fear. One is the what if worst case scenarios. And the other is what happens when you're in a place where, you know, it's bigger than you expected. So expansion happens or energy gets better, or you actually connect with your true self. That's a different type of fear. All that and plenty more next week, right here on Happen to Your Career. Make sure that you don't miss it. And if you haven't already, click subscribe on your podcast player so that you can download this podcast in your sleep and you get it automatically even the bonus episodes every single week, sometimes multiple times a week. Until next week, 
Adios. I'm out. Oh.